Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online, and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough, and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then, and you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? You know, this is Carol Jurgensen Sheets, and I have listened to that now for four years. I remember Russell really well. Sex addicts can be truck drivers, they can be airline pilots, they can be CEOs, they can be your trash guy, they can be your daughter's Girl Scout leader. They can be the woman at the grocery store. They can be anybody. That's, that is the indiscriminate part of sexual addiction. There is not in any way, shape, or form one profile. But there are profiles to sexual addiction. There are ten types. And, you know, Russell said, why is it? that I want what I want, and then when I get it, I don't want it anymore. And he said, I'm addicted to sex. I think for the first time ever, I would dispute that with Russell. You know, that was a call-in on a drive-time show that I aired in Indianapolis. Uh, And Russell isn't addicted, addicted to sex. He's addicted to the pursuit, the chase, the seduction, the conquest of sex. And that's different than being addicted to sex. And, you know, I've been listening to that for over four and a half years, and I had to say to myself, wait a minute, he's not addicted to sex. And you know what? Most sex addicts aren't addicted to sex. They are addicted to a variety of things that are part of that sexual experience. Now, you heard me say it before. Maybe it's a conquest. Maybe it's a seduction. Maybe it's the taboo factor. Perhaps it's the risk. 
you know, those four things have nothing to do with sex, but sex is the vehicle by which they feel like they're doing something wrong or they feel like they've got to captivate the moment. Then they get it, the moment's over, and they're no longer interested. And that's what we need to know about sexuality. If you're a partner listening to the show, here's the crazy part. I'd say at least 60% of the addicts I work with can't even get an erection when they end up with the prostitute, the masseuse, the affair partner, the escort. It's not about the sex. It's about the thrill of the chase. It's about looking at a website and picking the person that you think fits your arousal template. That's where people who don't work with sex addicts have no idea that the thing to target may be, why are you chasing this? What else have you chased in your life? What else have you felt like you didn't get? You know, think back to being seven, eight, or nine. What was that life like for you? Were you getting your needs met? Was there an attachment? Did you feel the love you deserved? Um, Sex addiction therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, CSATs, they know that it goes way deeper than just chasing that sexual behavior. And so I'm here to tell you, if you have a sexual addiction, you need to get with somebody who truly understands the the collateral damage that can occur when you haven't gotten your needs met as a kid. That's right. The comprehensive needs you have as an infant, as a school-age kid, as a pre-adolescent, as an adolescent. And, and, you know, if you have this need and you're not getting it met, and then you find that you don't have to feel the need when you look at your mom or dad's Playboy, you grab their penthouse, somehow that takes you away from from that void inside of you, wow, that is a strong, strong medication. And when that occurs, you set yourself up, not consciously but unconsciously, for ways to no longer feel the pain. And that's why a CSAT, a Certified Sexual Addictions Therapist, is the person for you. Now, if you're a partner of somebody who has a sexual addiction, there are many CSATs that specialize in that, or there's this organization called APSATS, A-P-S-A-T-S, and they train coaches and therapists alike to know how to deal with somebody who is in trauma because they love a sex addict. I can't tell you how much pain I have witnessed when I look at a man or a woman who's in love with a sex addict who wants to get into recovery, but the information they have gotten 
is so overwhelming, is so traumatic, is so violating that somebody who never, ever, ever felt trauma before is inundated with terrible, terrible traumatic symptoms. You know, I worked with partners that would never hurt a flea. And they have kicked, they have punched, they have pushed, they have thrown the addict around, you know. And the addict almost invariably takes it because deep down inside they believe that they deserve that physical abuse because they know how they've traumatized the person they love. And although they don't like it, they feel like they deserve it. And that is oftentimes the cycle that we have to break first and foremost. Abuse from anybody, any way, anyhow should not occur. And if this is happening to you, let me help you. Let me get you to the right person. Now, if you're a partner, you may want to go to sexhelp.com and look for a sex addictions therapist that works with partners. There are plenty of them. And if you feel like, no, you want your own specialist, you want somebody who absolutely is great at treating the partner, then go to APSATS.org and look for a therapist in your city. And then there's several of us. You know, I am a therapist and a coach. Some therapists can't do Skype. They can't do Zoom. Zoom is a HIPAA-compliant video web chat that you can do and talk with your client, and they can talk with you, and you can have the husband and the wife together, and you can even do a family therapy session. But there are only certain states that allow that to occur. If you do coaching and therapy like I do, and believe me, there are many coaches on both of these sites, we can do coaching. There's no regulation at this point about doing it. And I have to tell you, I feel it's incredibly helpful. You know, I provide that service as a coach, and I work with people all over the world. Scotland, Sweden, Egypt, Indonesia, I work with people who need the help, and when they put their zip code in or their country code, there is not somebody who is qualified within a two, three, four, five hundred mile radius. Gosh, what do you do when that's the situation? You call Carol the coach, or you call a coach that does take Skype, who does Zoom. And you can find those people and and read about us. I mean, there are plenty of people who really do have expertise. There's something about them that's going to resonate with you. You're going to like what they have to say. Maybe you're going to go to their website. You're going to like their face. Maybe they look like your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your pastor. Maybe they just say that perfect thing. Kind of like when you go to church and you do believe the pastor is talking directly to you. There is no reason why you can't access the help you need. Now, I have to tell you that, you know, 
there are plenty of different fees that different people charge. And I'm not allowed to talk on air about how much that is. But I guarantee you, you can probably find somebody that you can afford. And if you can't, I mean, I just recently had a woman who said, I got six kids, my husband left me, he's had multiple affairs, I need some help, I don't know where to go, there's nobody on either website that's within 500 miles from me, what can I do, Carol? And, you know, one of the things that I thought is, well, I can offer you books, workbooks, videos, YouTubes, I mean, there are people all over the country that provide that stuff for free. And so I went to my listserv, and a listserv is a group of people both through ITAP, Certified Sexual Addictions Therapist, or APSATS. And I said, hey, does anybody need a client to finish their certification? I got somebody who really can't afford much. And I got somebody to set her up with. And I I can't tell you I'm a miracle worker or I can do that again, but I'm telling you I do believe when you need real help and you're willing to do the work, the universe provides. Just like with this show. I mean, you know I interview the experts in the field. Tonight I'm going to be interviewing uh, the author, the Amazon best-selling author, who wrote a workbook called Finding Peace, Healing from Loss, Neglect, Rejection, Abandonment, Betrayal, and Abuse. And this is a workbook that helps people to identify what was going in their life, what was going on in their life when when all these traumas happened, And what kind of wounding may have occurred before or during this event? What are attachment wounds? What is the shadow of shame? How in the world do you find peace when your whole world is falling apart? Yes, I am excited to be interviewing Troy Love, who's going to be talking about his workbook. And I am such a believer in workbooks. If you've listened to my show, you know I always recommend Facing the Shame. Um, And Facing the Shame is Facing the Shadow. And it was written by Dr. Patrick Carnes. And then Troy has done this book. Uh, there's another book that Stephanie Carnes and Mari Lee has done called Facing Heartbreak. Great workbooks to help you work on your life. So stay tuned. I'm telling you, uh, Troy will be a great interview. He really cares. He has a passion for people. And he wants you to be able to find peace and joy. Believe it or not, I know that's hard to imagine that you could find joy when you've been this hurt and this traumatized. I mean, it really seems like the impossible. But it is available to you if you do the work. Um, So I want you to really work hard at listening to Troy, Troy Love, 
is an amazing author, and he knows what he's talking about here. And that's why he wants you to help you through all those hard experiences. I mean, you know, when I talked with Patrick Carnes and we were talking about abuse, Patrick Carnes said, yes, abuse is absolutely positively horrible. But I'll tell you, there's a silent killer, and it's called neglect. And that is certainly what this workbook addresses. Troy Love is an MSW, he's an LCSW, and he runs Yuma Counseling Services. So I so welcome him to the show. Troy, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this workbook that I know will help thousands of people. How are you tonight? I am waiting to hear Troy. How are you? Okay, some real trouble with Troy. Hopefully he'll call back, and again, that number is 646-595-3284. I wonder if we're having some technical difficulties with the Internet. Because I definitely am looking forward to him. It can be so difficult to know what to do when you're dealing with trauma. And Troy is the expert. So hopefully he will call back. And if not, we just may call him. I've never done that before, but I am more than happy to do that. Let me see here. Okay. Yuma Counseling is his counseling service. And one of the things that I absolutely know to be true is people who write and author books really have a special passion for what they need to do to make their life different. And so I happen to believe that so many people need to know what it is that they can do to really make their life mean something. And that means they have to kind of heal their own wounds And once they heal their own wounds, then they can take their life to the next level and kind of actualize their potential. And oftentimes they do that based on the wounds that they had. And that is so important because truly it can be very, very important for people to take their life to the next level and feel like they belong, that they have experienced this trauma for a reason. So let's see if Troy's on the line. Troy, are you there? I am. I apologize for that. I was using a phone that wasn't connecting with you for some reason. I noticed that, and that's okay. I'm just glad that you tried it again because this workbook that you have written absolutely looks phenomenal. 
And you have really made it your mission to deal with people's pain and help them to grow stronger, to learn from it, and to move on in their life. Can you tell us a little bit about your workbook? And it is an Amazon best-selling workbook, Finding Peace, Healing from Loss, Neglect, Rejection, Abandonment, Betrayal, and Abuse. Yeah, so I, I, I started writing this book about three years ago um, at the request of some of my clients who were really trying to have an understanding of the pathway to recovery when they were dealing with what I call attachment wounds. And um, I, I would do lectures and I would do presentations around the community and people were really wanting to understand where they could learn more about these wounds. Um, but there wasn't really any a workbook that specifically talked about the, the wounds that I identified. And so eventually after a lot of people prodding me, I finally decided to sit down and, and write this book as a way of helping people who've experienced trauma in one way or another have a, a path really so that they can find peace at the end. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that path. I mean, how did you help people find that path of finding joy and peace? So it, it all starts with really identifying what our wounds are. And, and you, you read them a few minutes ago, but loss, neglect, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, abuse. And most of us have experienced at least one of those wounds, and some of us have experienced all of those wounds, and oftentimes they happen to us when we're children or we're growing up, and we may not even recognize that we've experienced them until we come into adulthood, and then life has a way of kind of bumping up against those wounds. I use the analogy of, of a sunburn, and you can go out and have a wonderful day at the beach, but then you get burnt because you forgot to put on sunscreen, and and so the next day you go to work, you're able to put your clothes on, you're able to function fine until somebody comes up and they didn't realize that you had a sunburn and then they, they tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, how are you doing? And then immediately they, they touch that, that, that burn and there's a, there's a reaction. And that's the same with these, these attachment wounds. And we can go through our day, we can go through weeks, we can go through months um, without anybody really bumping up against them. But then something will happen and we bump, uh, somebody says something or somebody does something and it bumps up against those wounds and there's an immediate reaction. Either we pull away or, or we want to um, kind of go forward trying to prevent that person from doing that again. And so the first part of this healing is being able to identify what are those wounds and how do I, uh, what do I do with them? And so just shining some light on, on those and being able to figure out, wow, you know, I have, I have a betrayal wound. Um, my, husband, my husband's a sex addict, and he's been lying to me for so long. And that is a wound that really hurts. And even though maybe he's been in recovery for a, quite a long time, I still have that wound. And I notice that when it gets stirred up, I start to react with anger, resentment. So what do I want to do with that wound? And it's the same as with any kind of wound. We want to identify it, and then we want to find the ways to treat it. And so the book really kind of lays out a path of how to 
treat those wounds. Well, it's interesting because I had thought, oh, I hope he'll talk about some of the different wounds. And so, obviously, you are an LCSW who has worked with a lot of clients who have experienced betrayal. And that is a wound in and of itself. And sometimes, I mean, I'm an APSATS um, certified clinical therapist, so I work with partners and I work with sex addicts. And what I know to be true is just the discovery of what it's like to love somebody who has a sex addiction can provide terrible, terrible post-traumatic stress. And then if they've had their own earlier betrayal, you know, some molestation, rape, this divorce from their parents, you know, a lot of fighting, it turns into complex post-traumatic stress. So tell Tell our listening audience a little bit about what you would advise somebody who has experienced very significant trauma. So what we we start to unpack as we look at these this wound, let's use the wound of betrayal in particular, we start to unpack it. When these wounds happen, we as human beings, we like to try and make sense about why why this stuff happened to me? Why was I molested? Why is my husband uh, continuing to lie to me? Why is that? You know, it's just like, I think it's a human, uh, natural human part of it that we try to find the meaning to why these things happen. And so as we're thinking about this, we come up with some reasons why. They are probably not accurate reasons, but they're the, the reasons that we come up with. And then we begin to write those reasons on our heart. I use the analogy of, of having these messages tattooed on our heart. And I, I love the um, imagery that J.K. Rowling uses in Harry Potter when Harry's in trouble with Professor Umbridge and she calls him to detention and he has to write, I will not tell lies over and over. And every time he does, um, it writes that message on his skin until it stays there. And that's kind of the same imagery that happens. Those, those beliefs that, well, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I wasn't pretty enough, um, those kind of messages, we come up with those, and then those keep getting re-tattooed over and over and over on our heart. And so now they're there. So every time that that betrayal gets stirred up, every time something happens that rubs up against that, it automatically activates that that negative message that's been tattooed on our heart that says, I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. As that happens, um, that evokes some emotion. And sometimes that evokes fear. And sometimes that evokes sadness. And sometimes that evokes anger as a, as a reaction to what that message was that was just reacted. And if we, if we don't know what to do with that anger and that sadness and that fear in a healthy way, then what usually happens is that we become encased in shame. And that shame is that deep and abiding belief or experience that I'm flawed and defective and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And the shame is really what prevents us from being able to find that, that peace that we're needing. And so as we start to unpack that wound, we start to help the, the person really identify here's the wound and here's the negative message that. I've been carrying around with me for so long. Let's see what we can do to start challenging that message and find out what the accurate 
message. It's uh, no, I'm not bad. I'm not. I'm not unworthy. I'm actually. I'm good, and I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of acceptance. I'm worthy. As we start to unpack that and challenge that, we help the person be able to start erasing that negative message and rewriting a new message that's a different one so that when that betrayal gets stirred up, it's not a negative message that comes up. It's, you know what, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a worthy person and, and I'm not okay with um, being lied to and so I'm going to set some boundaries. I'm going to handle this in a way that is in my best interest and in the best interest of the people I love. That's really what we're hoping that will happen as they go through this transformation process. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and I always tell my clients, you know, getting away from that core issue of I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy takes a lot of personal work, but it's worth the investment because it really does change how you feel about yourself and how you proceed. Now, one of the exercises that I do in my workbook is I have people come up with 50 personality strengths that they believe they possess. And they can't be roles. They have to be things like, I'm genuine, I'm honest, I'm compassionate, I'm loving, I'm tenacious, I'm persistent, I'm dedicated, those kinds of things. Tell us about an exercise you might give to somebody who knows they need to change that I'm not worthy thought and feeling. Great. So, one of, in one of the chapters that uh, I go through, I, I identify the six shadows of shame. And uh, those six shadows of shame are basically archetypes, kind of a Jungian um, mentality. Um, but they are the judge. The judge is the one that a lot of people battle with the most. And that's the inner critic. That's that voice that tells you you're not good enough and tries to perfect you. And the judge's belief is that if I can perfect you enough, then you'll never get hurt again. And so the judge is always picking up on any little flaw. And then that voice in your head that just tells you, hey, you're, you're not good enough. We have the impotent one, which is a voice of a victim saying you're powerless. You can't do anything. We have a politician voice that says, well, you need to earn points. You need to do as much as you can to prove that you are worthy. We have the martyr who basically says your needs aren't as as important as everybody else's. We have the rebel that says, you know what, I'm just gonna, you should just go do what you want and, and who cares about how it hurts anybody else. And then the last is the royal, which is a, a, a voice of entitlement that says you deserve. So one of the things that I'll do is as I'm working with somebody and, and they're, they're going on and on with the shame, I'll say, okay, which of the shadows of shame is talking to you? And I got this, I, I got this idea from Gary Van Wormerdam, who's an amazing author, and, and I love the, the way that he helped me with this. And he says, you, you basically write down, you, you identify, so let's say it's the judge, and the judge is saying, hey, I'm, you're not good enough. And I say, okay, I want you to write down on, write down on one side of the piece of paper, as if you were writing dictation, what exactly the judge is saying to you. And so you're going to write it in second person. And it's like you're the secretary and you're just writing down exactly what the, the, 
judge is saying to you, spend a few minutes and they'll write that. And then I say, okay. And then the workbook is a little bit more elaborate than this. But, uh, um, but then I say, okay, now I want you to connect with someone that you believe tells you the truth, uh, whether that's a loved one, whether that is if you have a higher power, you believe in God, um, but somebody that you believe will never, ever lie to you. And I want you to have them write a response. What is it that they say in response to the judge? And again, I want you to write this in third and second person, just as if you were writing dictation. And so they, they then are writing a true statement about themselves. And then we look at it and we say, okay, now when you listen to the judge, what happens inside? What, what emotions come up for you? What are the negative thought processes? And when you look at, when you look at what happens when you write the truth, what happens to you? And it's a really powerful exercise that I've used with many, many people where they're able to see the shift. They're able to actually see the lie that's being told to them by that shame, and they're able to connect with the truth. And even if they can only believe it for a few minutes, they've been able to identify, look, there is, there is a drastic difference between the two messages. And then as they continue to do that, they're able to resonate more with those feelings of love and acceptance. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And boy, you aren't kidding. Most people are judgmental and more than being judgmental of others, they're judgmental of themselves. So it makes sense that being able to access somebody else who would really know who you are and be really fair helps to neutralize a lot of those negative feelings. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about how did you get into this work? Because this is, this is not for the, the faint of heart. I mean, this, is, this can be heavy-duty work. Yeah. So I, um, when I very first uh, started to go to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and so I just started taking all kinds of classes. And I ended up falling into a social work 101 class. And I just ate it up. I just loved what the teacher was teaching. And it just resonated a lot with me. And so I decided I wanted to become a social worker. And so as part of the curriculum, my teacher told us, hey, if you want to be a really good social worker, you're going to need to go to counseling yourself. You really are going to need to do your own work. And at that time, I was really in denial. I thought, oh, I'm fine. I'm great. I don't need anything. And so I totally ignored her. And I went on to uh, go get my master's from the University of Pittsburgh. And while I was there, I was getting uh, my practicum was at Gateway Rehabilitation Center and and they work with people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, work with and interact with these people who are addicted to meth, heroin, alcohol. Something started to resonate with me, and I started to realize that I was also struggling with an addiction, and I was struggling with a porn addiction. And I had been struggling with a compulsively acting out through masturbation as a teenager. I didn't have access to porn at that time. Um, but when the Internet came around, and I found porn, it, it got me hooked. But I never had put a label on that was an addiction. And that was my first, first really awareness that, oh, my, this is an addiction? 
and there's maybe some hope for me. I'm watching these other people be start to get better, and they uh, and maybe there's hope for me. So I at that time I really didn't know any sex addiction therapist. I didn't know that there was a CSAT a therapist available, and so I just started um, finding some therapists here and there. And luckily, I found a therapist who, although she wasn't a CSAT, she understood sex addiction to some degree, and it was really my first experience in being able to heal from that. As I started to uncover and be able to reduce the behaviors of acting out, I was able (laughs) to get some sobriety under my belt. I began to realize that there's some underlying wounds that have been going on. Um, I was, although I am incredibly grateful for the choice that my birth mother made to put me up for adoption, um, I realized there were some wounds around being adopted. And I had never really faced those wounds. And there were some abandonment wounds and some rejection wounds. And then growing up, I, I was bullied a lot in junior high and in high school. So that, again, uh, rejection wounds. And so for me, the theme as I started to do my work was I got a lot of abandonment and I got a lot of rejection wounds happening. And I realized that for me, the porn was my way of trying to get that acceptance, that way of trying to get that approval. But it never worked because I felt worse at the afterwards. I felt so much shame. And, um, and so that's really what kind of got me started on yeah, the, the porn isn't the porn isn't about porn. Sex addiction isn't about sex. It's really about these wounds underneath. And so, helping people first get some sobriety under their belt, and then really starting to touch on these more trauma-based wounds is really my passion. I want to be able to help them heal the underlying wounds, so that they don't always have to go back to their old patterns as a way of trying to numb those painful attachment wounds. So it's almost as if, obviously, you had an affinity for people that were hurting, and then you actually got healthy when you were medicating your feelings, that loss, that abandonment, that really severe abandonment. You medicated that with pornography, figured out that it was an addiction, got the help that you needed, and then made it your mission to help other people. And, you know, you and I both know, because we're both CSATs, that Dr. Um, Carnes says it's not just about recovering from your addiction. It's about creating a legacy that we all as human beings need to find a way that we can give purpose to this life. And certainly you wrote this workbook because you knew that there were exercises that could help people to rid themselves, to be free from a lot of their shame and their pain. Exactly. Exactly. Now, and, and how the do la- you... Go ahead. Well, and, and that the last part of the book really is helping the, the people find the purpose to why did they go through all of this stuff? Uh, not why, why did this happen to me, but what's the purpose? What, what is it that I'm, what is it that I'm going to use to help less the world because of what I've gone through. And to me, that's really where the peace is really grounded is not being focused on, yeah, I, I have an abandonment or I have a rejection wound. That's not where the peace is found. The peace is 
because I have had an abandonment wound or rejection wound, I have the gift of empathy for people who've suffered from that, and I have the ability to now use that to bless other people's lives. And that's, to me, where the peace really comes. Oh, I agree 100%. And, and, you know, it's interesting because I say there are three factors to actually feeling happiness, which I think is similar to your joy. And one is being able to stay in the moment, and that takes a lot of – when you stay in the moment, you obviously have a lot of reflection time, and, and you really hear what you need to from the outside world, whether that's the universe, whether it's God, whether it's your own inner inner guidance system – you really pay attention to what that is. The second thing is kind of use the attitude of gratitude so that you look at what's working in your life instead of what isn't. And then that third thing, which is what you were just talking about, is reframing. When you when you deal with an obstacle, when you deal with something really difficult, to look at that and say, now how can I grow stronger from it and what does it have to teach me? And Truly, you have lived a life where you've decided to ask yourself, how can I grow from it, and how am I mm-hmm. stronger as a result? Exactly. And I think that that's really where you find happiness, where you really find the peace. You know, some people think that, they, you know, they just focus on the bad stuff that has happened, and truthfully, bad stuff has happened to a lot of people. So that's not that's not going to bring us the joy and the peace and the happiness. We want to make meaning out of that, and and that's my goal is to try and help people reframe, like you said. Well, tell so me a little bit. You piece. have this um, oh, this description of tattoos. You know, people have tattoos on their heart. Talk a little bit about what that means to you. Yeah. So for me. Um, Personally, that the the message that got tattooed on my heart because of the abandonment and the rejection is that there's something wrong with me. There's something there's something wrong with me. I'm I'm not good enough. And so I, whenever I would feel a rejection, whether that was reaching out to a friend and and wanting to maybe go to dinner or or do something, and they they wouldn't get back to me or um, they said, no, I can't go. What would happen is that would immediately rub up against that rejection wound. And then my tattoo, of, well, there's something wrong with me, would immediately get activated. And then my shadows of shame, my judge in particular, would show up and start giving me a list of all the different things that were wrong with me. I was too short or I sound like I'm 12 or you know, I, I'm, I'm annoying or da 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 and just all of a sudden all this list of things that are inaccurate. They maybe just couldn't go. Maybe they had a conflict or they had something else going on that had nothing whatsoever to do with me. But because that shadow of shame and that tattoo that's been written on my heart, it makes it all about me, which is really what addiction does and makes it all about us. Um, it made it all about me, and I ended up telling all kinds of crazy stories that were inaccurate, which would then pull me away from this connection that I really wanted, and so I wouldn't try to reach out to that person again because of the story I had in my head that said, hey, I'm not good enough. And it wasn't until I started to challenge that 
doing some of the exercise that we talked about already and really getting to the truth of, no, there's nothing wrong with me. He was probably busy. I'm going to try again. And then I try again. And this time, yeah, we're going to go do something. We're going to go to lunch and it'd be amazing. And, and as I kept doing that over and over, I was able to start breaking down that, that tattoo and doing some laser removal of that tattoo that says, you know, just because somebody isn't able to do something or because somebody says no does not mean that there's something wrong with me. It just means that they said no. Well, absolutely. And, you know, really what you did was you, once that occurred and you went into your shame and you thought there's something wrong with me and then you talked yourself out of it, you really addressed your vulnerability, and you looked at that, and you said, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to try again because there could be another reason than they just don't like me or I'm not worthy. And, boy, when you were vulnerable, you found out more often than not, truly, it was circumstantial. It wasn't about your core. Exactly. Yeah. But so often if we don't... um we don't really identify what that tattoo is that's been written on our hearts, and we never have the opportunity to challenge that. We never have the opportunity to really identify, well, what is really true? What is really the truth? Yeah, very good point. You know, I'm talking with Troy Love, and he has written a workbook for people who've experienced all sorts of shame and abandonment and betrayal. And it is an Amazon best-selling workbook called Finding Peace, Healing from Loss, Neglect, Rejection, Abandonment, Betrayal, and Abuse. Now, Troy, tell us a little bit. Obviously, they can get this book on Amazon. Is there any other way to purchase the book? Uh, they can go to their local bookstore and um, ask them to look it up. They would probably have to order it for them. Um, but they they can go to their local bookstore and ask to order it that way if they don't want to order it on Amazon. Well, the only reason I ask that is sometimes people have websites that also sell it, and they make just a little bit more money if they sell it from their own website. So that is not the case. You would encourage people to buy it from Amazon. Yeah, I haven't, I'm not that technically savvy yet. I haven't figured that out. <laughs> that so, is absolutely okay. Sometimes I think simple is better. So obviously this is a book that took you how long to write? Well, I, I started working on it about three years ago, but really uh, it was a, about a year ago that I really kind of kicked it into gear. Um and my a friend, Forrest Benedict, who I think you've um, had as a guest on your show, he, he finished his have. book, Lust, A Life After Lust. And um, I, when he did that, I was like, oh, he did it. So if, I can do it. If, if Forrest can do it, I can do it. And so that really was the final fire that just got me to finish, stay up late at night, ra- uh, writing the chapters and really tying it up um, and getting it finished. And so that really was the fire that, that helped me finally finish it. Isn't that nice? The force inspired you. And, and let's face it, when our friends do something that we also know that we can do too, it is extra incentive that, you know, it reminds us, yes, and we need to be, we need to be disciplined and have create the space to do that. And so you definitely 
created the space to write your book. And you have a counseling service. It's Yuma Counseling Services. And where are you located? I'm in the bottom of Arizona, right in the corner. Um, it's Yuma, Arizona. Most people have never heard of that. But the, I, the selling point is I say we're about two hours away from San Diego. So, you know, we can uh, go to the beach. But I'm about five minutes away from Mexico and five minutes away from the California border. Yeah, that absolutely sounds delightful. Um, so as we begin to end for tonight, what would you want our listening audience to know about trauma that you know looks like neglect or shame or betrayal? What, what do, would you most like them to know? Well, I think I... Let me end with uh, an experience that I had when I was going to school at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, We were just about ready to finish, and my wife and I were getting ready to pack our bags and move to Yuma, uh, all the way across the country. And we went to a friend of mine's concert. She has a beautiful singing voice. Her name's Caroline Alved, and we went to go hear her sing. And as we were, uh, we were in an old church. And we were looking around, and I looked in the back, and there was Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' television show. And I said to my wife, Lisa, there's Mr. Rogers. And so during the intermission, we got up enough courage to go talk to him. He was so kind and gentle, and he asked me what I was doing, and I told him I was a social worker and that I was going uh, to go help people. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, you know, the world, people are simple and deep, but the world makes us shallow and complicated. And if we can just help people connect with the deep reservoir that is within them and that truth and cut through all the complications and just help them connect with that simple and deep part of themselves, they'll find greater joy. And then he blessed me on my path, which is a very tender experience for me to be blessed by Mr. Rogers. But I've carried that message with me a lot. So, yeah, we've experienced neglect. We've experienced loss. We've experienced abuse. We've experienced rejection. And all of that can make things really complicated and disorganized in our life. But once we can connect with our true core, that we are beautiful beings of light and connect with that simplicity, to me, that's really when the peace is found. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that I've learned in my trainings is that connection is the antidote for sexual addiction. And that's certainly what Mr. Rogers was saying, you know, be simple, but definitely help people to connect, and you'll be doing uh, the world's work. And so that's Absolutely. what your work is all about, is connection. And let me just ask you a quick question. When you say finding peace, and then obviously later on you reference that this book will help readers to discover ways to heal from the depression, anxiety, and trauma while finding greater joy and peace, what does joy and peace look like for you? Uh, 
wow, that makes me really emotional often. Um, joy for me is laughing with my children. Uh, joy for me is holding my wife's hand and feeling her connection with me. Peace is knowing that even though we have bills to pay and uh, different things going on, that everything's going to be okay because I have the most important people in my life all around me. Um, Joy is laughing with a friend. Love is being connected to those people that I feel closest to. And for me, that's really what it looks like for me. Okay, well, that's a great way to end the show. And, you know, obviously I wish you continued success. You have put a lot of your heart and soul into this workbook. And it's obvious that your mission is to help other people heal the wounds by doing the work necessary to be kind and gentle to themselves. And I I just so appreciate the fact that you've reached out to our listening audience because this is a very wounded group of people that don't even understand their potential. And I I know your workbook will help them find that. Thank you. Thank you so much for being willing to let me on your show. I really appreciate your time. Well, absolutely. You take care and let me know when you write the sequel and any other okay. book that you do. And, and God bless and good luck to you. Thank you. And be at peace to you. Thank you. All right, you take care. You so too. I was talking Goodbye. with Troy Love, who did the. Uh, he made it his mission to do um, a variety of services to help people to really make their life their own. And you know, it's tough when you have that wounding. It can feel impossible. Like, what can I do to get better? How can I heal? And I'm here to tell you that when you work on your attachment wounds and work on your shame, Troy calls it the shadows of shame, and I just know that clearly what I know to be true is that Troy has made it his mission to help you work through the anger, the sadness, the betrayal, the neglect, and all of the other forms of rejection and loss by giving you exercises that will give you peace, help you find joy, and love. So, doesn't get any better than that. And um, I look forward to hearing from you and you telling me how how you experience that workbook. Again, you can get that on Amazon. So, can you believe that it's almost August and your summer is over? If you have kids or grandkids or going back to school, you're readjusting to the next season. Whether you have two days recovery, 80 days recovery, eight years recovery, Um, what I know to be true is that you don't take it for granted. You appreciate every single second that you have some serenity, 
tonight in my group, we talked about the fact that um, real emotional maturity, real emotional IQ means that what you do happens to be letting someone speak their mind no matter how much anger, hurt, or sadness is on their heart and hearing it and validating it and practicing your empathy so that you can reflect back what you think is going on. You don't take it personal. And then you give them the gift of validation and reassurance. And you accept where they're at. And when you accept where they're at, you also allow yourself the opportunity to be the vehicle, to be the container for either some of the pain that you caused, some of the pain that was there before you caused it, or some of their pain that's absolutely separate from you. That's true emotional IQ. That's quite a thing to accomplish, but I know you can do it. And this is why. You know, one thing I know to be true is that when you face adversity with kindness and compassion, it leaves positive effects. Now, there will only be one of you at all times, so I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be yourself. And I will so look forward to talking to you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. You have a great week.